COVID or no COVID, retail supply chains will never be the same. Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Editor-in-Chief of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. When the pandemic hit the world, retailers scrambled to adjust their supply chains to cope with its many impacts, including shortages of essential goods, bottlenecks in getting those goods to market, and the mass migration of purchasing to e-commerce. Looking back over the past two years, however, it's all too evident that many of the problems that emerged in retail supply chains were already well in evidence long before the first infection from COVID-19. On this episode, we'll explore those weaknesses, as well as what retailers are doing to address them. My guests are two executives from Esri, a supplier of geographic information software. Sydney Elliott, Director of Business Industry Sector and Corporate Sustainability Lead. And Gary Sankery, Subject Matter Expert in Industry Marketing Strategy. They'll discuss four of the causes behind the transformation of retail and what a very different future looks like for the industry. Here's my conversation with Cindy Elliott and Gary Sankery. Cindy Elliott, welcome to the show. Thank you, Bob. It's great to be here. Gary Sankery, welcome as well. Thank you very much. What I want to do with the two of you today is explore some of the big changes that we're seeing in retail supply chains during 2021 and how, how they transform supply chains potentially forever. Maybe we'll go through like four separate points here, starting out with this idea, the so-called Black Friday in October, disrupting normal sales and promotional patterns. Gary, can you speak to that? What happened there and how might that change our whole mindset about so-called Black Fridays and Cyber Mondays and things like that? going forward. Yeah, thanks. Black Friday's been sort of changing even before COVID. We were seeing it sort of stretch out. I don't know if it went all the way into October in the past, but certainly there are more early events happening. Retailers are more interested in driving traffic. This year in particular, we saw Target and the Walmarts and the, and the big retailers of the world start to throw some really outstanding promotions very early in the season. And where last year, I think it was, they also did this to a certain degree. I don't think it was as much as happened this year. It was more to get to sort of try to limit crowds on Black Friday as uh, pandemic concerns were a big deal last year. Still a big deal, but I also think that they appreciated the extra volume. They also, having all of that traffic, all of that promotions, they were sort of sending a message about their inventory positions. And there was some discussion that we were going to have really some significant inventory problems in most desired items coming toward the end of the season. I still haven't seen that in a big way yet, and I'm I'm just kind of curious. You said, what was the impact on Black Friday? And Black Friday numbers were not great. So I am kind of curious to see when we do our assessment at the end of the year, was it because consumers spent all of their holiday money early on. Of course, they were urged to do so. Everybody said, shop right. early. They were definitely we're, urged to do so. <laughs> we're going to be out of stuff yeah. by Christmas time. So uh, that now, was now an old. Yeah, I'm an old retailer, so I sort of wonder, I don't wonder, I, I, I'm curious if comp store sales are still an important KPI for retail. Are they going to look at Black Friday and get nervous? And now will we see them hitting promotions harder toward the last two to three weeks of the season? That remains to be seen. 
if I could weigh in on that just a bit, I want to just echo what what you're talking about here is that Black Friday number was very specifically measured against Friday from previous years. But I think midway into December, the analysis was really the spend over this period was in substantially higher than the past one and two years time frame from a spend perspective. And that incorporates the inflation challenges everyone has been talking about. So the the consumer confidence remains very high. And I, I agree. I think rather than seeing this huge spike on Black Friday, what we saw was the distribution of that spend over a longer period. And we still have weeks to go before they analyze the final December spend. And I, I really do think we'll see strength throughout the year. Oh, that's interesting to know. But in addition to this particular thing we're talking about here being specific to the, to 21, when there were supply chain shortages and congestions and people were buying early in addition to that, I wonder if it also ties back, if, if you can trace this back to the creation by Amazon of Prime Day, where basically mm. Amazon and maybe other retailers are saying, we can create discounting situations whenever we want. We don't have to rely on the day after Thanksgiving or the Monday after Thanksgiving. We can make it up and get people. And, yeah. and does that kind of disrupt the whole idea of being stuck with the Black Friday? Thing? I don't know if it disrupts the idea of the Black Friday. I mean, Black Friday specifically, it just maybe disrupts. But I still think retailers, their customers sort of expect to rally around some event. And Amazon just did that event digitally, and they did it very early. But they still, Amazon Prime Day, you had a lot of people lined up ready to go, laptops on, ready to start buying. And Walmart had the same thing going, Target the same thing on their website. So I think these events still matter. I think what we're seeing is wider distribution of these events across the holiday season. My question is, what's going to happen from a supply chain standpoint as we start to change how those sales are paginated across the season when we get toward the end of the season? And will those inventory shortages occur? But I also think we're going to need to really take a look at how we're forecasting sales and this idea that this year over last year and that'll help us work. I think one thing that really learned this year is we have to learn to build more flexibility into our forecasting and into our supply chain. Well, that kind of leads into the next point. This is, of course, the most obvious trend of 2021 and 2020 as well, and that was COVID-19. And the way that it jeopardized traditional relationships between suppliers, manufacturers, and transportation providers. Sydney, can you speak to that and how that might have affected the whole notion of risk in the supply chain and, and how companies kind of had to deal with that? Sure. It's a great question. I think it'll be researched in education and higher education for, for decades, Bob. And I think one of the first obvious statements that I like to make is that supply chain was already at a weak point leading into COVID. And years of lean and kind of cost reduction across the supply chain, I think, left it quite fragile. What it also left, I think, and as we entered into that pandemic, was that partnerships had been very stretched as well. You mentioned the suppliers to the producers and the and the factories to the brands and to the retailers. There had been such a pressure put on that whole network that it really just snapped. And where a, a manufacturer or a buyer may have already had a contract in place for PPE or masks or dry goods, they now had a new buyer, right? When all that pandemic buying first occurred, that pandemic kind of rushed to PPE and, and such, those suppliers were in a state where they could take a higher bidder, right, for their product and materials. 
And so I think that's what really, it was a multiple years of, of a scenario happening that really just came to a, a point right at the edge of the pandemic. Has it smoothed out over time? Absolutely. The, the most recent supply chain crisis we hear about now, although we still re- relate it to a pandemic trend or pandemic side effect, it isn't for the urgent or critical goods any longer, right? Those seem Mm -hmm. to have normalized. In fact, I would say the distribution of the vaccines has been pretty much pretty successful comparatively, but all those ships off the coast of Los Angeles tend to have more of our discretionary goods in it. So still a supply chain problem, but the goods in which are kind of caught up in this dilemma today are much different than they were early in the pandemic. Gary, what have retailers learned from COVID-19? How, how did it affect them going forward? The biggest thing on my mind is just-in-time inventory. Really, we're leaning so far into managing expenses and really reducing overall supply chain costs through just-in-time. And what we learned is that just-in-time really reduced uh, flexibility in that supply chain to the point that when demand signals became volatile, it just couldn't keep up. So I think what they've learned and what we've seen the successful retailers learn is they've now diversified their risk, both across items in their categories, maybe taking a deeper position locally with basic colors and not so much in the fashion colors. They've diversified some of their suppliers. We've seen strategic staging happening in the market, trying to get inventory closer to the demand without necessarily committing it to a specific location. So this is the dark fulfillment centers and that sort of thing. Okay, but all the same, I mean, some of this certainly came on as a surprise. Nobody was able to really predict the full impact of a pandemic such as it ended up having. And yet there were signals that were missed that perhaps I'm wondering whether transportation providers and supply chain executives maybe should have seen. Can, can you talk a little bit about how there was this almost universal failure to read these signals ahead of time that might have given us an idea about supply chain weaknesses and helped us to head off some of these problems? Cindy, is that a possibility? Could we have done better? Absolutely. And I think we use the expression missed signals. And I think it was just ignored signals in some cases. And I think we could talk about the truck driver shortage years before the pandemic. It was noted often as one of the number one risks for our uh, ground transportation, at least here in the United States. And I believe often some of these signals were being talked about or or brought forward, but because organizations didn't have the opportunity to bring that content together and look at, okay, we have a a driver shortage and our transportation needs are going to be growing. Ultimately, what's going to be the, the weakness, not just over time, but in case there's a disruption. So I absolutely believe that these things were present, but one of my talking points often is that supply chain and supply chain operations often sits in a cost center, right? And the mm-hmm. focus and the priority often is on cost, cost reduction, less about resilience or serving customers. In fact, there's been multiple research and commentaries about the fact that the leanness that was brought into supply chain globally often and immediately left the resilience at risk right? Yeah. That the companies were making that. And I, I would be interested to hear both your and Gary's perspective on that, that we're seeing more and more of supply chain moving now into the decision suite, right? Call that a C-suite or an intelligence suite, often into the control center. 
But I think that was one of the big key aspects is that they were kind of trying to push that pebble uphill yeah, far too yeah. long without the without the attention. Well, Gary, you know, retailers, many of them operate on such thin margins. So it seems only natural that they would have sought to maximize cost savings in their supply chain. Do you agree with Cindy then that that is indeed what happened and that maybe they have taking a new attitude now? Absolutely. There's a story in the market last week that just iterates that, which is the gap flying in a lot of their inventory for holiday. And clearly I can picture that. And the Gap apparel, so they have a much richer margin formula. However, clearly in their boardroom, they're saying having our, our customer experience and keeping our customers happy is something that the supply chain really needs to respond to be able to do. And they took a fairly drastic approach to that. But I think that's the kind of thing that we've seen and will continue to see until we sort of get our forecasting alignment or until the demand becomes less volatile or more, more of a pattern about, or emerges. Okay, so as if it weren't bad enough that we have this disruption of flow in the supply chain, temporary closures of factories due to COVID-19, all this other stuff happening, we have what I guess some have referred to now as the so-called age of abundance when it refers to consumer spending, which you would think would sound great, but for the fact that it catches a lot of retailers and supply chain people short. So the question here is, and maybe, Sydney, maybe you can pick up on this and, and talk about how supply chain and logistics companies can do a better job of managing the pulse of consumer demand against the backdrop of that trend. Yes, I think this is that natural evolution of supply and demand coupling with marketing and sales. From a standpoint of today, companies can be so much more connected with their consumer. And whether it's the retailer or the manufacturer or the collection of that partnership, they're getting much more intent intelligence about their consumers and being able to roll that into like clusters of data or hotspots of data. One aspect of this now is the historic sales data companies have depended on for years to show patterns and trends over time of their pre-pandemic business, I think aren't going to be very useful anymore. This disruption from a supply and a consumer demand perspective is substantial and forever. And I think mm-hmm. having that tighter connection to real-time or near-time information is going to be significant. And one shift we've seen, too, is a, a shift away from that massive distribution and order processing activities and processes to being more market-centric because they're more intelligent about the buyer and the way the buyer is buying in-store, online buy online, pick up in store, they're now moving their fulfillment centers closer and really depending on a tighter connection between the communities that they serve and and their fulfillment overall. And Gary, are retailers acting accordingly in in terms of their own plans and and fulfillment and stocking strategies? They're starting to. One of the issues I think, and maybe this is a little bit of looking forward as well, but retail is such a local business and these demand signals that the volatility was not consistent across all of their, especially if you're a national retailer, not necessarily consistent, as Cindy spoke, across markets. 
So being able to build the triggers to identify when there are certain products or certain high-profile items that are overperforming down at that market level allows you to reposition the assets that you've already got and hopefully mitigate some of these demand challenges more quickly. Again, we keep said this over and over again, it's all about building more flexibility into your supply yeah. chain, but also being able to identify those issues at a local level as quickly as possible so that you can build a mitigation plan or at least have something in place mm-hmm. to do it. I used to say back in the day, we spent when I was at uh, you know Target and Mervyn's before that, we spent so much time trying to get our forecast down to the hundredth of a unit. And it always occurred to me that that's great. What we really need to do is understand how quickly can we react when the forecast isn't exactly right. And I think we would serve our guests a lot better that way. Which is all the time where <laughs> the forecast isn't exactly <laughs> right. right. I mean, it's yeah. assumed. Exactly, exactly right. Exactly right. The challenge with how do we get that forecast perfect? But I think today with the amount of data and with the with the correlations that we're able to make, this is where tools like, like GIS that have this very location-specific capability, you can start to get ahead of that and really create the insights that, that weren't available before and turn those insights into action if you have the inventory staged and ready to meet that demand. Okay. In just a few minutes we have remaining here, I want to ask each of you to kind of elaborate a little bit on taking everything we've just talked about in the last few minutes. Here we are at the beginning of 2022. How do we go forward? How do we achieve these goals? You just mentioned GIS. Cindy, maybe you can talk a little bit about the so-called geospatial technology. What are some solutions out there that you see that allow supply chains and retailers to go forward and achieve these objectives? I'll talk from a supply chain and network perspective and let Gary talk about more from the retail perspective and the customer intelligence. But I think this opportunity of digital twin or digitization of the supply network, whether it's in your control or a third or fourth tier supplier, digitization really creates this new level of understanding and awareness. And I think why that's so important now is that disruption is constant and it's a matter of magnitude and severity. How long will it last? How severe will it last? Is it a road closure or port closure or is it a typhoon? And I think using this tool that gives you not only the real-time insights but allows you to project impact and disruption is going to be absolutely essential. And GIS is one of the tools, but this technology is there and proven today. And we're going to see a difference between the winners and losers in the industry of those who lean into digitization and digital twin and digital projections versus those who don't. And I think that that is a a constant moving forward is better understanding risk and impact before you're having to respond and, and fight back from it. GIS, Geographic Information System. Let me hear from you then, Gary, as to kind of a final statement on how you think retailers are going to be going forward, the solutions they might be deploying in order to achieve these goals? Once again, I mean, I keep broken record, but building that flexibility, understanding this volatility in the demand signal, and what Cindy talked about is really getting very local, both in your customer profiling, so understanding who your customers are so you can better put the right products in the right place to meet that sort of demand, understanding what's happening in your local markets. Before COVID, we were sort of doing that. COVID became really important to understand just in terms of the restrictions from local jurisdictions. But now being able to say, let's take that to the next level and understand where is the product particularly taking off and what kind of tools can I deploy 
to help me see trends very early and react to them in a way where I can mitigate uh, down the road. Number one, I'm going to also grow my sales because I'll have the right inventory in the right place, right, but right, also right. mitigate the outages and also walking those customers who can't find what they want. And so really tools that focus at that low level of granularity to understand and react, I think, are really where we're seeing the market going. Sydney Elliott and Gary Sankery of Esri, I really appreciate your being with me today to kind of outline some of the big trends we saw in retail supply chains last year and how they might change retail supply chains going forward on a permanent basis. Cindy, thank you very much for being with me. Thank you, Bob. It was a pleasure. And Gary, thank you so much as well. Very much enjoyed the conversation, Bob. Thank you. That was my conversation with Cindy Elliott and Gary Sankery of Esri, talking about the transformation of retail supply chains. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn. Follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain, and also watch videos on our YouTube channel. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. Stay well and see you next time.